0: Welcome to the Kingsway Christian Fellowship. We hope that you'll be blessed as you listen to this audio sermon streamed live from Melbourne, Australia. The Kingsway Christian Fellowship is a family Bible based non denominational church preaching Jesus Christ based in turner Visit www.kingswaychristianfellowship.com. Now here's Pastor Gary Fitzgerald. Amen. Praise the Lord. Pastor Gary. Bring the word this morning. Um, you know, I was uh, during the week as I was I was um, pondering which message I was going to share, and I was going to speak about. Um, although the Lord led me in this direction that I'll go in a moment, but I was, and Lord willing, I may look at it at some point in the future. But uh, the aspect of testing and being tested, and just thinking about the persecuted church, and and. Um, you know, the, the, the testing that that brings to the heart. I mean, it's, um, we can't really fathom that level, to, to have to endure that level and degree of suffering that some of these people endure for the uh, name and cause of Christ. And, and yet to see a heart that's filled with such love for the Lord, um, it's just beautiful. It really is. It's just sweet and it's so wonderful because it, there's things in life that can make you bitter. And, um, and yet, it doesn't matter what we endure, God's grace is sufficient for anything and everything. And so when the heart is tested by circumstances, it is important, amen, that the heart is always right before the Lord. And so um, I just uh, was encouraged by that this morning. But in saying that, that is not the topic of discussion I want to look at in the Word of God. But nevertheless... The Gospel this morning is a glorious, glorious reality, and what I want to preach and minister with you this morning is um, it 's not just a i mean it 's objective there 's no doubt about it in terms of god 's truth it always is, but there are subjective aspects that we find in the Word of god that 's associated with various truths and and that which we 're going to consider today is one of such is one of those and so Um, Even as I think about it, prepared it and ministered it this morning, it really does move my heart. This wonderful, glorious reality that we're going to examine in the God's word in this particular scripture. Just going to be one verse of scripture and just a few words really. But they're so rich in the truth that they contain and the application uh, that it has to our lives. And so um, it's going to be in the book of Romans, but I'm not going to tell you yet what verse it is. But it'll be Romans chapter eight, so you can find that in the in your Bibles. But um, I once heard a song on God's mercy uh, from a particular Christian band, if I can use that phrase. (laughs) I say that in inverted commas, but um, but nevertheless, it was uh, the 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 lyrics went like this: Um, When we get, oh, actually put it first. Yeah, when we get what we don't deserve it's a real good thing. When we don't get what we deserve, it's a real good thing. And you're like, hmm, I know, you have to filter that through your brain. So let's say it again. (laughs) That's all right, because I'm the same. It says, when we get what we don't deserve, which is God's mercy, it's a real good thing. When we don't get what we deserve, which is God's judgment, it's a real good thing. Can you say amen? Amen. And so it kind of captures the spirit and the essence of what I want to talk about because God's grace is truly amazing this morning. And uh, the reality is, is that we all deserve to go to hell. We all deserve... Having sinned against God and the condemnation and damnation of eternal judgment, the Bible is clear in that regard. That's what we deserve. But through Jesus Christ, amen, we get what we don't deserve. And that is salvation. That is eternal life. That is forgiveness. That is being justified before God and declared righteous. It is a glo- this gospel is glorious. That's why we call it the gospel. It is good news in the context of, uh, of what we're dealing with. And so Paul, when he spoke in, the, in one of his epistles, he said uh, that we as Gentiles were without hope. And really we were, we were aliens from the covenants of promise from Israel and so forth. And, and we were grafted in and with uh, all the rest of it. But we were without hope. And yet in Christ, amen, we have been made one. We have been grafted in. We have received an inheritance. And so this is glorious in the context of the gospel. Paul would write in many instances, he would say that we are dead in sin. We are alienated from the life of God, he will say that we are past feeling. That is, that we have uh, 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 sinned uh, uh, so deeply against the Lord that there are those that are uh, so disconnected. Their hearts have grown callous. Their consciences, as Paul would write, have been seared with a hot iron. And that can be the condition of the human heart before God. And as such, because of sin, the Bible says that we are under the condemnation. We are under the judgment of sin and the judgment and the condemnation of the law, which condemns us and shows us that we are sinners and by which, by the law, no flesh will be justified before God, as Paul would tell us. And so the law comes a knowledge of sin. It shows us that we are judged, we are condemned, we are helpless and hopeless without God. I mean, the truth is, when I consider the gospel this morning and my own salvation and I look at my own life before as a Christian, the truth is, is that I don't think, no, there's there's no one here that knows who I was before I was saved. And I think about the things that the Lord has forgiven me of. I think of the, the sins that I committed before God, that, uh, that uh, uh, though God has delivered me and set me free, I have the memory, I don't bear the guilt anymore and the shame of sins committed. But nevertheless, I, I, I recall what it was like to be under the condemnation of sin, under the guilt of sin uh, and the brokenness of life and all of those things until the Lord saved me. And though it's some 25 years on, amen, we are never to forget where we came from. Never to forget such wonderful grace. Never forget, uh, amen, uh, uh, that we what we deserved and we haven't got it from the Lord. And so we've all done things that we are deeply or we're we're deeply ashamed of. And and so do we're saved, praise the Lord for that. But the world is living in that state. In actual fact like I said it before the Bible says there are those that are past feeling they've seared their conscience there are people who live their lives in such evil and wickedness that they not you know they're not even they bear no guilt and shame over the things that they do which which is a sad place for uh, for the human heart to be at but then there are those in the world that have uh, done things that they're ashamed of and as a result of that people bear the guilt and shame for their whole lives and the devastation of that upon the human soul is so great and because uh, they find no freedom, no forgiveness, and yet live with the, uh, the guilt of sin. It's committed. And so to live in a state of condemnation is a terrible place to live, knowing that you're a condemned man, knowing that you are, uh, 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 will be judged in fear of judgment and those things. Condemnation. And damnation is um, a a, a very severe thing. It's a horrible place to, to be in. And that's why the gospel is so glorious and so wonderful. Because what we're going to consider this morning is how God removes from us the condemnation of sin. Now think about this, the condemnation of sin is removed by the grace of God. And so I want to preach a message that I've entitled this morning. Now there is no condemnation. Now there is no condemnation. And I'm only gonna read one verse. We'll refer to some other scriptures, but I wanna read verse number one, which is a familiar portion Of text. Paul the Apostle writes and he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let's read it again. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You see, condemnation this morning is really a severe and harsh word, isn't it? When you just hear I mean, just to hear it, let alone all that it represents, just the word itself is harsh. Condemnation. And yet, this is the state of the human heart unredeemed, as a sinner before God, is under the condemnation of sin. That word in the Scripture, condemnation, in the Greek here in our text, it means to judge against, to pass sentence. And so it's already, the, the, the sin is already been judged and ultimately will be judged, and sentence will be passed. Sentence has been passed because when you break the law of God, you are condemned. Amen? You are guilty. And so it's in light of that to, that we are to understand the condemnation that is associated with the judgment of God to pass sentence. And so it's not just in the present when we when the sinner is without Christ and is under, living under condemnation, but also... Uh, The Bible speaks in the book of Revelation about the great white throne judgment. And this is a judgment that is not associated with believers. But nevertheless, it is a judgment where those will uh, will all stand before God. And the Bible says that there will be those that will be cast into the lake of fire, into Gehenna, hell as we know it. (coughs) And they will be there forever and ever. And so this degree of condemnation is heavy. It is severe. And yet we are, or or I should say the sinner, is under the condemnation of God. The world is under condemnation. In John's gospel, in the gospel of John chapter 3, the Bible is actually quite clear when it talks about Jesus himself. All right, now, we're making the... You you still heard me, right? Okay. And so we're talking about the condemnation. For those on the uh, Zoom, well, you can have to pick it up, but they probably heard it anyway. Um, But the issue of condemnation and the great white throne judgment where that will be ultimately executed and uh, uh, and men will be uh, cast into the lake of fire. But the world is under the condemnation of sin. And this is what Jesus made clear to us when He came in His ministry, when He first began to preach the Gospel. And so because With sin is associated condemnation or condemnation is associated with sin. But with the gospel is a, uh, something in contrast. It is something that is presented, which is salvation. And this is what Jesus came to bring to us. And so there's an emphasis of this in John's gospel, chapter 3, which we were, we were uh, heading towards. And so let me read it to you in John, chapter 3, verse 16. Because Jesus is speaking, and it's a familiar portion of Scripture, which we know. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. There you go. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. But that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. Listen to that. He who believes in Christ is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. So the world is condemned already. And their rejection of Christ only adds to it, to that condemnation. But nevertheless, Jesus is quite clear. And the reason is because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. The condemnation is this, that they have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and they are under condemnation because men love darkness rather than light. Now that condemnation. We'll, again, we'll find its manifestation. This is a scary thought when you talk about eternal judgment and the Bible talks about abiding under the wrath of God and God's wrath will be executed, as we know, in that time which is to come. But you see, but God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. And yes, they are condemned because they reject Him, but they are condemned because they are continuing to live in sin and practice sin. So the world's condemned already. But the gospel we preach is something that is to contrast that condemnation. Mark it down, it's specific. The the idea of the gospel is to contrast that condemnation. Yes, there is a judgment to come. And yes, the condemnation of God will come upon those that reject Christ. But we are living and still living some 2,000 years later in what we call the age of grace, a dispensation of grace in which the offer of God's forgiveness still stands to men. That they can be saved. You see, that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance is what we find written in the Scriptures. See, thank God that we sit here this morning and we are saved. That's why we use the word saved. I mean, it means salvation, but it w- saved from what? Saved from eternal judgment. Saved from hell. Saved from condemnation. Look at John's Gospel of again in chapter 5, uh, just a few chapters forward. And Jesus speaks again and he makes emphasis of this point, And it's important that we grasp it. So again gospel of John chapter 3 I say so chapter 5 verse 24 Most assuredly I say to you he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment or in the King James it says not come into condemnation but has passed from death to life, How glorious is the gospel, church? That the fact is, is that having believed on Christ and being saved, the Bible is crystal clear when it says to us that we will not come into judgment. We will not come under condemnation from God because we have passed from death to life. And this is something that has happened. When a person is saved and born again, you have passed. Amen? In the same way death is a passing, and which we move into uh, from the physical to the spiritual, we have now passed. Having been born from above and having been born of God, we are not under condemnation. That is a glorious gospel truth. And it is this truth this morning. That Paul the Apostle is picking up on in the book of Romans. And when he makes the statement in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, because he's bringing to light throughout the, 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 the book of Romans what the gospel is. And now he is speaking about this issue of the fact that to the child of God there is now no condemnation. Praise the Lord. You see, to the one, who is born again to the one who is been saved to the one who is justified now before God free from guilt there is no condemnation and so we want to examine Paul's words very carefully here in chapter 1 of verse uh, uh, sorry chapter 8 of and verse number 1 in which Paul is speaking and so we want to understand the context of what's being said here because this is important You know, we always, uh, preachers make the point and they say, when you see the word therefore, it is imperative that you understand what it's there for. And I know it sounds a bit cliched, and it is, but it is so important. You can't emphasise this truth enough. It is critical that we understand what it's there for. That's how we make sense of it. That's how we bring the scripture into context. That's how we make its application. And so... And so Paul is making this statement and remember that the Bible didn't have chapters and verses. This is a letter that is continuous that Paul is writing here and it's continuing on from verse 25. There's no break and Paul puts the pen down and says, I'll write in the next chapter tomorrow. You know, it's, it's, it's a continuous thought that is, 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 is being progressed and built upon right from the beginning of the book itself in chapter 1. And so it's important to note that verse 1 of chapter 8 is, is really, in context, a proclamation that ties together right from the beginning of chapter 1 all, to, all the way to verse 1 of chapter 8. Now, that's its greater, that's its greater context. But then there's the greater, uh, then as we zoom in a little bit more, obviously, it's, tu- it's tuned into chapter 7, obviously. And what Paul is expounding and drawing upon in chapter 7, and then uh, leading to verse 1. But more than that, as well, if you zoom in a little bit more, that microscope, it's directly connected to verse 25, which is the previous verse in chapter 7. And so, again, I make that emphasis. Because Paul has been talking about, in the book of Romans, about in the first uh, 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 three, four, right up until the beginning of chapter five, he's talking about man's sins, the sins that we have committed and how the gospel deals with our sins and God forgives our sins. But then he shifts in chapter five, and from chapter five through to chapter eight here, He deals how the gospel deals with our sin nature or how the gospel deals with uh, sin in our members because though we are born again, though we are saved, now that we are justified in the sight of God, Romans 5 verse 1, uh, now we have to deal with the fact that I'm still living in this body. I'm still living in this flesh. And so now how am I going to live a life that is free from sin? How am I going to live a life that's pleasing to God? And so this is where Paul begins to address the gospel and how it delivers us from the power of bondage of sin in our lives. And this is important to make those distinctions because there's a lot of conjecture. If you study the Scriptures, you know, what's Romans 7's talking about? Is it talking about the unregenerate believer or is it talking about the regenerate believer? And this brings division, severe divisions amongst uh, uh, people, which is really silly in my opinion. <laughs> Because it's clear Paul is talking about him, one, himself, and two, he's talking about human nature, and two, he's talking about his experience. And that's why you find uh, in verse one, now, in the present, now, right now. Not saying back then, although he's referencing to back then in terms of its applications, which we'll get to in a moment. But Paul is talking about the struggles of 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 the uh, of uh, in, the individual to live holy as God would have us, because we have a sin nature, and so he's talking about the law. And if we try and live by the law, then we find ourselves continually falling flat. And that what I and that's why he says that what I will to do, that's what I don't do, and what I will not to do, that's what I do. Have you, has anyone ever had that experience? Do you have that experience as a non-believer or as a believer? <laughs> right? And so it's human nature we're dealing with, right? And so this is where Paul's talking about this struggle. And he's trying to demonstrate that if we're going to try and live the Christian life in our own strength and by law and saying, well, I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to do that. And somehow you think you're going to achieve what God is requiring of us to be free from the power of sin. You're kidding yourself. In actual fact, he's telling us that we can't in and of ourselves. But we can, through Jesus Christ. And what he's also saying is, in when you when you understand what Paul's writing about in chapter seven, you realize. that because we do fail, and because we've all sinned, that the tendency is, is to feel a failure, to feel condemned. Like, how can God love me? I keep, you know, I've committed this sin, or you know, I have this habit. Or what? How, Lord? And so it's very easy for the Christian and the child of God to come into condemnation. And so this is what Paul is, is considering here, the dilemma of, the, of human nature and sin in our members and failing to do what we should do as Christians. And that's why in verse 24 of Romans 7, if you look there, he makes a conclusion about our human nature without God without the power of the Holy Spirit to help us, without God's grace in our lives. And his conclusion is this, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And so this is where he he, he speaks these words and then he says in verse 25, I thank God See, though Paul has come to the end of himself in verse 24, he realises his human limitations, his weaknesses, his, his, his corruptibility as a human being and his own flesh. He says, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he says, I thank God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And so he's making this point, and then he launches right into verse 1, in which he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. See, nevertheless, see, nevertheless, though. Uh, 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 we fail, though we struggle. You see, again, I'll put this question to us this morning: Who here as a Christian, as a child of God, has never sinned? Well, I'm glad no one put their hand up. <laughs> because if you did, the Bible says that if we claim that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, true? And so even as Christians, there's none of us sitting here that are in our walk, in our, in our sanctification, as our growth as Christian, in our pursuit of holiness, in the perfecting of holiness, which we are expected and required to do from Scripture. But nevertheless, none of us here are without sin. We positionally stand blameless before the Lord because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Positionally, we are perfected by Christ's sacrifice, but in and of ourselves uh, as a, uh, 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 we, are, we are not, practically. So this is the journey of sanctification. So we're justified and this is found in Romans 5 and then we talk about the issue of sanctification which is what we're dealing with in these chapters of Romans itself. See, we all, we, we're, none of us is without sin and this is the point that Paul the Apostle is making. That even as Christians, we fail to appropriate the provision that God has for us. And let him who stands take heed lest he fall. Because you never fully arrive. You think you've, you've arrived, but beware. Because we all fail. We all fall short. And this is not saying that we continue to live in sin. Paul, we know Paul the Apostle was hard against this concept. In, in Romans 5, you know, he, uh, um, uh, he says, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Absolutely not. This is not a, Christianity is not a license to sin. God's grace is not a license to sin. This is not about you continuing in sin and abusing God's grace. That's not what we're talking about. But we're talking about in your sincere desire to be free and do right before God and still failing and falling short. This is what Paul's talking about. He's talking about our struggle against sin, which exists for each of us. And so uh, uh, we have to learn to appropriate the provision of God. What's the provision of God? The Holy Spirit. Amen. Because He is the one that's working in us to will and to do for His good pleasure. He is the one that is conforming us to the image of Christ. He is the one that is changing us and transforming us. And so we bear fruit. In accordance with that so Paul is very clear he's talking about the provision God has made to be free from the power of sin or the sin nature and practicing sin while acknowledging we do fail and so in verse 1 he says these words nevertheless or therefore because of Christ there is now now in the present No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. See, that statement in chapter 8, verse 1, is a profound portion of text. Now, you have to look at these words individually, because therefore, which we just really established, now, There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, the first thing I want to take out of this this statement that Paul makes is the fact, and I've said it before, but it is imperative you understand that when you are born again, you are in Christ. This phrase, "in Christ," is, is 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 prolific throughout the New Testament. And it teaches us of our position, having been saved and translated into the kingdom of light. We are now in Christ, in him. And so notice it says there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Because if you are not in Christ Jesus, what's the, the condition? You are under condemnation. And that's why later in, uh, in the verses later, in actual fact, uh, in verse 9 of Romans 8, Paul will say, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Okay? And so if indeed, listen, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. It's that simple. You are either in Christ or you are out of Christ. And if you are out of Christ, you are condemned. You are under condemnation. The wrath of God abides upon you. But now that you are in Christ, positionally, you are in Him, the whole circumstance changes. That's why the Bible says, listen carefully, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation old things have passed away behold all things have become new and that is that is exactly how it is so when a person believes on the lord jesus christ and they experience salvation they now translated and they are from they have passed from death into life and they are now not under the condemnation of god because they are in him and all things have passed away. Isn't it the gospel glorious church that God can put away all of our sins? We don't deserve this. But we get what we don't deserve. And that is the grace and mercy of God. This is the gospel. And so Paul uses this expression. And he says, There is therefore now. Now, mark that word down. Now, presently, because it has a, a, a couple of applications that we've just touched upon that you can draw from it. But when we say there is now no condemnation, we Paul is has a he is encompassing all that he has written, not just in chapter seven, but in the whole disposition of him writing about the gospel. And so we realise that we're dealing with two fundamental issues. He's dealing with our sins. Now we have been forgiven of our sins. Every sin that we committed. When we came to God and confessed our need for a saviour and said, Lord, forgive me for my sins. Save me. The Lord forgave us of all of our sins. How wonderful. That is salvation. That is again, positionally, now in Christ. It's the present that's how we stand. In actual fact, let me read it. I've referred to it already, but let me read it to you in Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, again, the whole tying together of chapter 4, having been justified, in the past tense, having been justified by faith, not by works, not by the law, but by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I can have peace in my heart. Whereas before the guilt and the shame, bearing upon the human soul troubles the human soul. It uh, torments the human soul and mind and all of those things. But now having been justified, that is, declared righteous and free from the condemnation of the law. Justified. Standing before God and our name has been cleared. You've been acquitted. God says you're free. You're no longer under condemnation of sin. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So then there's the second aspect of what Paul's statement in verse 1. And again, I've touched upon it in explaining its context. Because now we're dealing with the second aspect of not my justification, but now my sanctification. And in which I struggle against sin. That's what Paul's talking about in chapter 7, my struggle against sin. How you approach that struggle against sin is critically important. Because the more you try and resolve in your flesh, I'm never going to do that again. You know what's going to happen? You're going to do it again because you're not going to conquer sin through your own self effort, through your own determination or positive thinking. Hmm. No, you can will to do, but you don't have the power to fulfill it. That's what Paul's teaching us. But but that's as if you live according to the flesh. We don't walk according to the flesh. Amen. I we are born spiritually. We are live in the spirit. We walk in the Spirit. And so now this is a progressive aspect of the Christian life. I have to learn to have dominion over sin. I have to learn to be, live free from the power of sin. That's what Paul's dealing with in Romans 6. Read it and he's building upon it and demonstrating it again in 7 and building again on it in our, in our statement right here. But in that struggle against sin, and though I fail, Paul says, there is now no condemnation. You see, what Paul is saying is this, that we, are now not un- we, are, we have passed from death into life. We are not under the adverse judgment. If I sin, and we all sin, we've all confessed it, right? But if I sin, I'm not going to go to hell just because I've sinned. You're not going to lose your salvation just because you've sinned. Because if that's the case, we're all in trouble, right? Right? But that's not what Paul's talking about. Now, now in the midst of this struggle, there is now no condemnation. Now that's not an excuse to sin because he's just told us that if you walk according to the flesh, then you are going to, it's miserable. It's a death sentence. But if you live and walk according to the Spirit, then there lies the complete difference. You see, in our struggle against sin, there's no adverse judgment that is against us. You know, God's not going to say, "My oh, gosh, you've sinned. Now you are uh, uh, you're coming back under the condemnation and and uh, of of judgment and eternal fire." But that's how the new Christian sometimes thinks, isn't it? Because we don't fully sometimes comprehend this grace and this gospel. So it's normal uh, for the the new convert to to feel that. Um, i have a actually someone that's been in contact with me by phone from Queensland in recent weeks, and. Uh, And, you know, again, just a new convert having believed on the Lord. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's a a sin and he says, you know, he's fearful of just going to hell. And they must understand the gospel of grace. They must understand the provision that God has made so that they can be free from the power of sin. This is what Paul's talking about. And so let me say this. Though you don't come under condemnation, because that's a severe word as we've already established. But when you sin against God, it is normal to feel conviction. It is normal to feel sorrow. It is normal to feel. um, uh, That's why uh, Colm said this uh, last week, blessed are those who mourn. That's why James will tell the, the church who are arrogant and proud, and he says what you need is you need to lament and to mourn and to weep. Let your laughter be turned to, to gloom and your joy to uh, you know, sadness and so forth. And so there is a context in which that is healthy for the Christian. Because you know sometimes, oh well, I'm just walking in God's grace, I'm free, doesn't matter. Sometimes you need to know how to mourn. Sometimes you need to be broken before the Lord for your sin and your condition that you would live willfully. If you can live in sin and not feel bad and convicted before the Lord, then something is wrong. And so as you come to God in brokenness again before God, then that's when you're at the end of yourself that God says, now I will give you the grace. Now I will show you the power of my spirit to enable you to be free from the power of sin. You know, one of the other things that Paul is talking about or that we can draw from this particular statement where there is now no condemnation it's this, so we've spoken about two aspects of condemnation, there's a third one, self condemnation anyone know what I'm talking about, self condemnation because when we fail and we sin against God and we sin against him willfully sometimes and we feel bad and that feeling bad is is not a bad thing, that's good Because godly sorrow produces repentance, okay? But self-condemnation is deadly because you think, you know what, I failed. And you condemn yourself, you pass an adverse judgment, and you live under the cloud, the dark cloud of self-condemnation. And this is from the devil. This is not from the Spirit of God. And self-condemnation is also harmful and destructive to the human soul. And so, you know, we have to face the reality. We are sinners, church. We do dumb things. We do stupid things. We do wicked things. And so, you know, I didn't think I was capable of doing that. Well, you did. But the, th- the thing is, is rather than condemn yourself and keep your eyes on yourself, which again will keep you from the glorious grace that is coming to us from God. Because when God, you must shift your focus and your faith, not on yourself, but to the Lord. And God says, if you confess your sin, What does it say? He's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So in other words, I don't have to live under self-condemnation. I just bring my sin to the cross and I leave it there because God deals with it. And then you walk away and you are free. Yes, you regret it. Yes, you know, I I can't believe I did that and so forth. But you don't live under self-condemnation. Because that is self-destructive and more than that, it's destructive to human relationships and so forth. You must walk in the liberty in which Christ has made us free. And so feeling bad and guilty and self-condemned, as though you have never, had never been forgiven, one man said, keeps you as a prisoner in the house of sin. And it's true. It's not from God. This spirit is of the wicked one. It does not liberate, but it imprisons men and holds them captive. That's why Paul says in verse 24, O wretched man that I am. You know what, church? We're all wretched. It's not, we just don't realise how wretched we are. And sometime, one day we wake up to that reality. Oh, gosh. God, you know, like you've been saved for five years and now you say, oh, Lord, how oh, wretched man that I am. God goes, well, you were like that from day one. You know what I'm saying? Just, yeah, you've come to realise it. <laughs> oh, wretched man. But it doesn't end there. Just because it ends there, that's, uh, that, that's the end of coming to ourselves and then the introduction of God's provision and God's grace and God's power. That's why it says, verse 25, is a complete shift of chapter 7. I thank God through Jesus Christ because I don't have to live there. I don't have to be in bondage to sin. I don't have to live under the condemnation, under self-condemnation and any of these things. You see, I make the point again, this is not a license to sin. It's the complete opposite in actual fact. In a, you know, as, if, you've, if you've studied the Bible, you'll realize that in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, in the original translation, it does not have... It, the actual rendering, the reading of it in a literal sense is this, of verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus stop. And then it's in italics, if you notice, in some Bibles, because it's not originally in the Greek, where it says, who walk after the flesh, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean that the translators have added to the Word of God and all of that stuff. They've actually added it because they're trying to bring context and clarity to what Paul's overall argument, because you can take verse one and take it out of context. Because Paul's talking about you living and walking in the spirit. That's why, he's to, and that's why in chapter 7 he's talking about the flesh and where it leads. It leads to death. It leads to failure. It, it has no hope. It's under condemnation. But then he says in verse 25, about, uh, with, he says, I with the, the, the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And he says, but there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because we don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Look at verse 2. It says, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. There it is again. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. You must understand that the Lord has liberated you. You don't just live and continue in sin thinking oh, how God and how gracious the Lord is. No, God says, uh, you shall sin, sin shall not have dominion over it, but you shall rule over it. How do you rule over it? You can't in your flesh. And that's the lessons you learn as a Christian. You learn to appropriate God's provisions. You learn to appropriate what God has provided. And then all of a sudden you begin to live victoriously and mature as a Christian because you, live to, you learn to live and walk in the Spirit according to the power of the Spirit. And we are free from the law of sin and death. The law of the Spirit of life, the principle of the Christian life is this, that the Holy Spirit is in me and the Holy Spirit enables and empowers me to live a holy life. That doesn't mean I'll never ever sin again. But that's the standard. It's perfect. Be be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. But the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. And this is the freedom of the Gospel. This is the freedom that has come to us in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. And you must understand that. In our struggle against sin, we must always remember the fact that there is now no condemnation to those who in Christ Jesus and who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life has made me free from the law of sin and death. (coughs) Freedom. Freedom. You see, how do we appropriate this truth this morning that I'm talking about? How do we appropriate this provision that God has made for us through his grace and through his spirit? See, the work of the spirit is the one that is to affect this liberation in our lives. Listen carefully. It is the Holy Spirit who is to effect this liberation in our lives. Yes, there's faith that must appropriate and lay hold of these things. But it's faith. It's not in and of ourselves. It's through his spirit. And it's interesting because there's a glorious liberty. Now, note those words. There is a glorious liberty that is associated with the Christian life. Now, in Romans chapter 8, Paul uses this phrase and he uses it in a different context because he's talking, he shifts in chapter 8 and he talks about one day our full salvation coming to fruition. And we touched upon this on the resurrection a few weeks ago in which we will put off this body and we will uh, enter into the fullness of our inheritance and, and put on a new body in Christ and in eternity and so forth. But look at verse 21 of Romans 8. It talks about because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage. Okay, that's also an aspect, not just us, but also the creation. But listen to the words. It will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Into the glorious liberty. You know, there is a glorious liberty that is coming. Because to be free from this body of death (laughs) is a glorious liberty. Can you say amen? That is another liberty that is coming. But do you know that the, God, but the Bible tells us that there is already a glorious liberty? Because my Bible says, he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. No, it doesn't say half free or a little bit free. But he whom the Son sets free, he whom the Son liberates, is liberated indeed. He is free. And so this is now. This is in the present. And so this is a glorious liberty that we as the children of God have now. Amen. And so that's why we are t- the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has made us free from the law of sin and death. We don't have to live as slaves to sin anymore. There's no excuse for you to live and commit sin. I know that we, we do, but that's not the point. There is no excuse when we sin. Because we have failed to appropriate God's grace. Because God, amen, each one is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. As James will tell us, God doesn't tempt us in that way and so uh, that's 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 again in our flesh but that's not the the liberty that we are to walk in we are to walk in freedom and isn't it interesting that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 17 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 17 this is these words now the lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the lord is There is liberty. You see, when we are dwelling and living in the fullness of God's power and presence in our lives, we are living in liberty, church. You can't come into the presence of God and be under God's condemnation and under self-condemnation and just under this dark cloud. This is not what God has for his children. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So when we come into the presence of God, we come boldly, as Romans would tell us. Why? By the blood. Not by works, not by our own efforts, but by the blood we stand, and we stand confident and boldly, and we we, we walk and live in liberty. In freedom, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, we experience that freedom. That's why we draw near to Him in fellowship and in His Word, and we come to church, amen, and in the presence of God. If we're not experiencing that liberty, then something's not right. Something is hindering you from receiving from God, something is in the way that has to be dealt with. And I've my experience tells me that you know the only thing that gets in the way is me <laughs> me um, it's like me I'm so dumb don't say yes and amen because you are too and so if we will just turn our eyes upon Jesus if we will just appropriate God's provision then you can experience now the glorious Liberty Now you can live and be. There's now no condemnation. Right now. If you're in Christ Jesus, that's your position. That's your experience. And so the question to us all this morning is, are we living in that liberty? Are we living in that liberty? Because if there's condemnation, there is no liberty. You know, what does the scripture tell us about God's forgiveness as we close? I want to read a scripture in Isaiah 38, verse 17, through to verse 20. So there's a few scriptures there. But Isaiah captures what I've shared this morning. And he says in verse 17, he says, Indeed, it was for my own peace, that I had great bitterness. You know, Paul had to come to a place, O wretched man that I am. Isaiah had to come to a place of great bitterness in his own life. Because human nature's dumb. We don't tap into the provisions of God till we're finally at the end of ourselves. That's the way it works. Brokenness. And when we are at that point, then it happens. That's why Brother Colm, speaking last week, blessed are those who mourn. Because they shall what? Be comforted. Bless when you come to that place, God, I'm sorry, I can't. Lord, forgive me. And you're uh, you're not justifying yourself, but you're just broken and humble before him, confessing your need. Then that's when you experience the provision of God. So Isaiah says, Indeed, it was for my own peace that I had great bitterness. But, now notice the word but. That's what Paul says. But you don't live there. That's, we pass through there, but we don't remain there. But, there's always the but. But you have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption. For you have cast all my sins behind your back. Oh, thank God for that. Because sometimes I, 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 if you reflect on the past and you ponder those things, they're terrible. But God says, I've cast them behind my back. I'm not focusing on them. They're washed. They're under the blood. They are forgiven. For for you've cast all my sins behind your back. Now listen, verse 18. For Shoal cannot thank you. That is the grave. The grave cannot thank you. Death cannot praise you. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your truth. Verse 19. For the living, the living man, he shall praise you. As I do this day, think about that. Isaiah says that the grave can't give you praise, death can't give you praise, the pit where everyone's going can't give you praise, but I as a living man, having experienced your love and your grace and your forgiveness, he says, I this day, I as a living man can give you praise. That's the Gospel church. Now, listen to what he says. The Father shall make known your truth to the children. Isn't it true, church? When we grow up, we have families as Christians and we have children, we raise them up in the the ways of the Lord. And we teach, we, we do our utmost to teach them these great and glorious truths so that they would understand them because we have experienced them so gloriously. Look at the next verse. Verse 20 The Lord was ready to save me. Therefore, we will sing my songs with stringed instruments all the days of our life in the house of the Lord. You know what he's saying? I'm gonna sing, I'm gonna shout, and I'm gonna praise the name of Jesus. What business do we have coming depressed into the house of God, church? And even if there is a reason to be sad, and there there can be, but the Bible says put on the garment of praise. For the spirit of heaviness, and though you may be heavy and hearted, I mean, one there's self pity. We no place for that. But maybe there is genuine sorrow. But even so, when you come into the presence of God, and you ponder these glorious truths, you can't help but sing and praise him, church. And so, it's joy, rejoicing God's salvation. Is my word to us this morning? Rejoicing God's salvation. See, David, we know, he had sinned against God. He'd committed uh, uh, adultery, murder, and uh, it was horrific what he had sinned against the Lord. And in his brokenness and in his repentance of Psalm 51, he says, Create in me a clean heart. And then he says, Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. You see, church, you must have joy. Joy is not circumstantial, joy is not something that's depending on how you feel today or tomorrow. Joy is based on the finished work of Christ. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is something because we look to Him. And this is what Isaiah says. I don't look to the bitterness. That's past now. The bitterness of sin and of life and whatever. But now I look to you because you've cast all my sins behind your back. I'm now under now. I'm under no condemnation. And I will praise you. I will rejoice in God my Savior. And so be blessed this morning. Be joyful in the presence of God. Get excited about it. You can even shout amen. Ah, Praise the Lord. Uh, You're listening. (laughs) God bless you this morning. And I pray that this truth, the spirit of God, would just deposit it in our hearts. And uh, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning. Lord, therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What a glorious statement, Lord, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord God, that you have cast all of our sins behind your back. Lord, we have been forgiven. Lord, and we've received that which we don't deserve. The mercy of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God. We deserve hell. We deserve condemnation. But we have passed from death into life. We are not under condemnation any longer. And God, this is a joy. Something to always rejoice in. And so we do this morning. We give you the praise and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.